food lovers out there. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And today we're going to have you drooling over some new product, specialty food product developments. Uh, starting with a pasta shape, a new pasta shape, which is reason enough to celebrate. But I've totally fallen in love with this. And um, we're going to be talking to Steve Gonzalez, who actually uh, has... Olini pasta, that's probably the hardest sounding of the knee in Italian. Spolini pasta is the producer of this pasta called Cascatella, and Steve is going to give us uh, the story behind it. Yes, we had a, a long, hard journey to get to talk to Steve Gonzalez of Spolini pasta, but here we are. Steve, you made a lot of waves with your cascatelli pasta, Correct. Which, which means little little waterfalls, right? Yep, yep. And I I, I had samples of it, and, and I cooked it and ate it, and I love it. I couldn't stop Great. eating it. It's really good. But Thank I kept you. wondering why in in the world people get so excited over a new pa- pasta shape. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh well, I think uh my my personal opinion is that overall the pasta landscape is very is uh maybe boring, but there's not a lot of diversity out there and you know most commonly in the marketplace if you go to a regular in conventional retailer, you'll see a lot of rigatoni, penne, rigatoni <laughs> which are all good shapes, but I think um something new and also Dan Pashman who we partnered with on that of the Sporkful you know did a very good job of promoting it and doing a storytelling around that and I think that all kind of helped fuel right. the the buzz uh, but yeah it was uh, you know it was mostly that the shape was Dan's idea and then we helped bring it to life and packed it, made it. Yeah, I want to talk about that in a minute. I just wanted to finish on this uh, shape thing. Uh, We visited an artisanal pasta maker in, um, was it Abruzzo? In Abruzzo, yes. In Abruzzo. Rusticella. Rusticella. I was just there a few months ago. Yeah, I was just there. I visited them. uh, When did I see them? In in. December, right before Christmas, I was uh, I was there for in Italy for five days for a quick visit. Great. They're really good people. They're very good people. Yeah, very nice. But the people. thing that really impressed me was uh, when was it his grandfather that founded the company, um, and, and they they had X number of of pasta shapes, like pretty much all the same landscape, and now it's ballooned into hundreds and hundreds because every little region wants its own shape is that what you know too uh yeah i mean i think we kind of don't have as obviously we're an american-based company so we don't have maybe some of all the the long lineage that someone like rustichella has but that's always kind of been our core mission is to do some of these to find when we started Sfolini was to find and use some of these lesser-known shapes that kind of uh, industrial pasta kind of steered away from using. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, you do so, the brass dyes as well. So does Ruth Tatella. Yep. 
Yep. Oh, well, we watched the production. I mean, they they had actual people on on these production lines touching things. Yeah, that's yeah. Is, it, is it brass or bronze that guys are made out of? Uh, I think that, I don't know. That's kind of brass bronze. I think it's uh, but yes, it's the same thing. We have same people. Uh, ob- since I was just there, we saw their operation, and uh, yeah, we kind of run a very similar setup and uh, uh-huh. process where we actually, yeah, have people touching the pasta along the way, which I think... Yeah, that was, that was very encouraging. We liked that a lot. <laughs> in, in industrial pasta, I don't think anyone touches, touches the pasta them. ever. The, the, yep. the, we, we learned a number of interesting things, which may or may not affect you, but when, when the great-grandfather or great-grandfather, whichever it was, started started making pasta... One of the, one of the big problems was getting it dry. And I mean, so, yeah, so I think during, that so is. So during uh, the winter, during the spring, fall, and winter, they couldn't make couldn't make pasta because they couldn't get it dry dry enough to yeah, sell. Yeah, there's, there's no humidity. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, we used to air dry pasta uh, when we first started the company nine years ago, and then moved into first we built our own dryer, and now we use kind of off-the-shelf, what I would call, static dryers. Um, oh, really? I didn't even know and, those. And, uh, and it's like the same system that those guys use. We put the pasta on trays, we put all the trays into a room, and then we close the door, and then it dries for about 10 hours. But, uh-huh. yeah, I mean, pasta is very finicky in the sense that it has to dry evenly from the inside out and can't have really any spike in temperatures or variations in temperature through the whole process. So really, uh, I mean the temperature and the, but everything has to be. So in these rooms now we can control the airflow, we can control the humidity, we can control the heat. And obviously if you're working in the outdoors and you're working with, you know, mother nature is your drying partner. Uh, you know, there it's, it's difficult it's very difficult. Yes, and the winter time uh, is is probably the most difficult time. So you probably, I imagine, they were doing a lot of their production back in those days of uh, you know probably in the summer or now, late. Um, tell us about the Spoglini. Now that's not your name. In fact, that your is name isn't even Italian. Gonzalez. It's, uh, it's, it's not even it's, Italian. Yeah. Um, what does right. Spoglini mean? It's, um, yep. Yes, Folini is, uh, or it, technically it would be called Lee Folini, G-L-I Folini, and those are the ladies or people, whoever, <laughs> most commonly uh, women in the Emilia Romagna area oh. that that make pasta by or that make pasta by hand. Probably more specifically, I... Bologna. And yeah, in, uh, I think the Encyclopedia of Pasta is kind of how this is kind of the origin story for us is that uh, a couple hundred years ago, if a, if a house, if a noble house had a Sfolini, a Sfolina in it, she was like worth her weight in gold that you had this lady who worked for you who could make these delicious handmade pastas. Uh-huh. And we're, we're not quite handmade as the Sfolini, but just kind of we like the idea of the tradition, of the technique. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know. What, 
how did your company, uh, Folini Pasta, how and when did it start up? Yeah, we started, uh, Scott and I, uh, we started Svolini probably almost 10 years ago in Brooklyn, New York. In, Is that uh, new? Yeah, we're that new. We're, and, we're, and your we're partner, and that's your partner? He is uh he's not Italian either. Uh he's from he's from <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> so what gave you this idea of starting a pasta? And what do you call well, that again? Uh, the place where they make pastas is Paticha somewhere there. Excuse me? Oh, Coxsackie? Um how do you what the kind of place where you make pizza um, we make um, pastas called what? Pasta Oh, Pasta Ficho. Yeah, Pasta yeah. Ficho. Yeah. Whatever gave you the idea to do that? Uh, well, I was in the restaurant business. Uh, I was a chef uh, for 14 years prior to starting Svolini and uh, spent almost three years working in, in Italy making pasta by hand and also doing some extruded pastas. And... Uh, as I was kind of thinking about getting out of the business, the the restaurant side of the business, but uh, still wanted to be involved in the food business, I I enjoy it a lot, and kind of saw that there might be a little space to to kind of fit in on that. So we our first pasta extruder made twenty pounds of pasta an hour, and we <laughs> were, our core business at that time was we were making fresh extruded pasta and selling it to restaurants. I see. Now, where were you in we, Italy? Uh, ooh, I was in Sardinia, in Cagliari. Oh, I love Sardinia. Yep. It's, it's uh, very, spent, that's out there. Most people don't go there. I spent uh, some time in Friuli. And, well, uh, we like Friuli a lot. We, so do I. Yeah, yeah and, we... Uh, yeah. And Bergamo is where the other places I spent a, a good bit of time. Oh, okay. So, so it's not not too far outside of Milan. Correct. It's uh, yeah, about an hour outside of Milan. Well, you know the Noninas, then, don't you? The who? Noninas in um, in um, the grappa the grappa makers. The grappa people. Oh yeah, them. definitely. I've, I've heard of them. I've heard of that brand for sure. Probably indulged a few times. As, they're as well. wa- they're wonderful. Those people. I mean, the sisters. You know, and the mother. The poor father doesn't get to say anything. <laughs> but, but we went to lunch uh, right on their uh, their headquarters where they produced the um, uh, the, the product. You know, and the grappa um, the and. Um, they served us a lunch because they they think that grappa can be paired with everything, and so instead of having paired wine with every course, all courses but one, which is a fish course, was paired with grappa. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to be able to stand up. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad to hear you made it through. That's a well. I I had to deal with the waiter. I said if I put my glass in this position. Take it away. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd have never managed to get through that. But I mean, it was a multi-course lunch. The funny part about it is, if you remember, we 
we were going to be in a nearby city to where to where uh, the the grappa is made called uh, uni something or other and the chef, the chef who cooked the lunch with the grappa for us yeah but we went to his restaurant his, his restaurant was in udine is the name of the town so yep. we said well we might be in udine tomorrow he said come on by for lunch so, <laughs> so we so we did but the funny part about it is we didn't have any directions to to find his restaurant so we pulled up outside the city gates of Houdine and and called and the, the restaurateur said go through the gate I'll meet you there <laughs> what, what 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 he never told us is how the hell he figured out who which was our car yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and, yeah, we spent a lot of time in Friuli, you know, with the Bastianiches and stuff. Oh, okay, you know, they yeah. have that. They have vineyards, and they have um, they have a wonderful um, uh, was it a guest house or what do you call it? Rather, sure, like an agriturismo yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah, it's an agriturismo, yeah. which is right in the vineyard, and the, uh, and it's called uh, Orsini, I think, Little Bear oh, oh. or something like that. Yeah, all seeing for the for the bear. Yeah. Okay, so we have this. So that's you two sat down. You and your partner sat down and said, "Hey, we're going to start manufacturing pasta, right?" Well, yeah, that was kind of the that was kind of the short story of it. Uh, and the original idea was to start a restaurant, and then uh, we that was two thousand. 10 2011 and the startup costs for a restaurant were very high uh we didn't think our prospects of going out and raising capital were good mm -hmm. uh so we both had uh so we s essentially started the the dry pasta or the the pasta company with with thirty thousand dollars of so we split. oh no we really yep and we started we got into business with $30,000 and I think had all of it spent by the time we opened. So we kind of had like no choice, but to be profitable from, from day one. So, well, you are, I mean, yeah, I mean, I found you I'm trying to think of how I found you. It was somebody was having trouble getting pasta and somebody recommended, um, Solini and that's how we found you. And I had also read Dan Pashman. Um, listeners, Dan Pashman has a—he's uh, a food writer and also a podcaster, and he has right. a podcast that's very popular called The Sporkful. And um, you know, we have a, a friend who owns a restaurant called Spork. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyhow, um, so so you 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 set up this this pasta factory. Yeah, and then we started, so we were selling the fresh pasta to restaurants, and then we started drying the leftover pasta, and okay. then we started doing some farmer's markets with that with that dry pasta, and that's kind of how we grew the business and then got into more, I would say, boutique retail cheese shops was kind of like our, our bread and butter when we first started, uh -huh. and then uh, we kept we kept growing 
so now just to some for some perspective we so we opened 10 years ago in 400 square feet and now up in Cooksaki we have about um about a 37,000 square foot factory wow. warehouse that we that we do our production out of now what how many different kinds of pastas do you make i think at the moment we have 24 different skews Mm-hmm. different flavors shapes but we do that on i think we have 12 dyes so like 12 dyes shapes that we use and then we kind of do some different flavors so that we use those 12 shapes to get us the 24 skews uh-huh now um there are uh, distinct advantages uh, of having um, the the dried pasta i meant i was interested Lydia Bastianich and I both prefer dried pasta to fresh pasta <laughs> I mean yep. I've never been able to cook fresh pasta it's, it's done in a, sec- a wink you know and it's just it's always overcooked I've never been able to deal with that um, but now you have we, we mentioned some of these you have high-tech equipment now but you still yep. adhere to using these dyes which have an advantage in terms of producing um, irregularities in in the pasta that hold sauces, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of always been our, is, uh, you know, American ingredients with Mm -hmm. Italian technique has kind of always been our our, our little, our our kind of catchphrase. Because we do, we do so much, I mean, and kind of the other, portion of like this business was we saw that you know so much of north america produces so much good quality durham durham wheat <laughs> that uh you know we thought oh some and you know some sometimes or a lot of the times the stuff gets shipped over to italy to be used in factories to offset the demand because if you were to total up all of the pasta that's made in italy they don't have enough grain output to to match that number, so it's coming oh, in from somewhere. And it's coming okay. in so, coming in from so the where, U.S. Where's the where's the agriculture that produces it? The Durham wheat here in the United States. Uh, most of it is parts of Canada, and then uh-huh, okay. Midwest Midwest. So North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, all have any maybe some parts of Wyoming have really high. Uh, concentration of Durham growth. Also, you'll find some in California, and then a really good bit in uh, Arizona. But they grow a different variety, called like uh, just simply called Desert Durham. That they that I think is mostly grown in California, and then in the, I mean in Arizona, and then into California, they mostly do like a Desert Durham variety. Well, Dan Barber does a lot of of uh, grain experimentation, doesn't he? Um, yeah, he does. Oh, he does some. He works. Pro- I think he works mostly growing some rotational crops. That he's uh, kind of probably gets a lot of that from Klaus Martin, who's like probably, uh, in my in my opinion, is probably one of the best organic. Um, Growers in in the state of New York. Uh, Who is that? Uh, Klaus Martin. He's a he's a just an older 
guy, older fella, who farms about, I think, close to 2,000 acres of uh, completely organic. He does grains. Um, he does a lot of grains. He does legumes. Uh, has a very good good business. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think his story is, I think, 30, 40 years ago, he broke away from his brother's. Uh, they are they were a farming family and decided that he was going to take his land and switch it all to organic, and it's been oh, going wow. organic ever ever since. And, so, but uh, his yeah, production is probably small too. Huh? Uh, it's a couple thousand acres, so I think that's uh, really? depending on what you're what you think what you call big farm or small farm. I, I'd say uh-huh. that's pretty pretty good. And, that's pretty uh, good. And his, him and his wife Mary Martin uh, do a very good do a very good job. And I think he actually is mentioned in a lot of Dan's grain books. Okay. But um, now, how did you get hooked up with Dan Pashman? Uh, Dan called us. That that easy. He uh, he called us in his uh, pursuit to get the Cascatelli made and to find a, a producer who could could make it for him or would want to make it for him at the time. Um, well, how do you so, start thinking of a shape for pasta? I mean, I mean, I guess there are specific considerations like how it holds sauce and cooking. Yeah, I mean, these are all the things that he did. I was, you know, he's got his uh, fork ability, sauce ability, these, you know, words he kind of invented to, to judge a pasta shape. Uh, yeah, but, that, you know, we it's on your boxes. Yeah. Workability. So, uh, <laughs> so that's kind of so again, like we we only helped make the shape once it was finished. We gave we gave him some critiques. He also worked with the dye manufacturer in uh, Massachusetts to kind of help bring everything together. Well, I mean, where does his where are his boundaries of being what he does? I mean. He, he thinks of it. It's creative. He finds. He researches it. Um, he uh, farms out bits and pieces to producers and so forth. He promotes it. I mean, does he actually sell pasta? No, we. I think he sells right now. He sells the. Uh, he he's been licensing it out to a few more people. So he technically owns the the Cascatelli shape. And I think he's more in the business now of licensing it out to other people who want to make it. Oh, interesting, sweetheart. Yeah, it, tell, it is interesting. Uh, tell, tell Steve about Jacob Kennedy's book. I'm trying to remember what book it is. It's the book of all the pasta shapes. Oh, you mean the geometry of pasta? Yeah, that one. Yeah. Oh, the geometry of pasta, yeah. That's a good book. I was wish, When I saw it, I thought, boy, I wish I had thought to write that. <laughs> <laughs> we, interviewed, we interviewed him have, having lunch with him at his restaurant in London. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I think they have about a that. line of pasta, too, that they have someone make for them that I've, I've seen. I've seen it mostly in... Like suffer, uh, in some of these like boutique uh, department stores in in London in the past. Sure, sure. Yeah. Now, um, so you, you get this, you have a deal with him, with Dan Pashman, and you get this product, 
And then, um, are, are you? How many people get licensed to manufacture it? I mean, what do you get uh, a patent on the shape, or what do you get? I mean, yeah, I don't know as, as much about his process, but he, we kind of were the first people to make it, and then after the initial success, he, I think, licensed it to Trader Joe's, and then has just recently licensed it to Bonza. So as I know of right now, there's only three people that are that make it. So us, it's made by another company. Trader Joe's has a manufacturer that they use exclusively in Italy who makes the pasta for them. Really? And I didn't know that. Yep. yep. And uh, that I think they're based out of Puglia, is Trader Joe's co-manufacturer. It's a lot of food and, in Puglia, yeah. Yep, they used to be way there. off the main track of tourists, and now they're and people are rushing to Puglia. It's just, I don't think Puglia is ready for all that, but that's my opinion. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you remember when we were, we were in La Marque, and uh, we, uh, we came upon this restaurant, like on a, on a crossroads, said it, look, it looked pretty good. So we asked them when they opened. They said, we don't open until 1 o'clock. We said, 1 o'clock, we'll be back. So, so we went down the road a little bit, and then t- turned around and came back. We we discovered that the the grandmother, who was who had, who made the pasta for the restaurant, was so well known that people in New York flew her all the way from the oh, right, yeah. I forgot that, yeah. to uh, to New York City to cook this particular shape of pasta that they wanted to serve <laughs> at this very special dinner. That's great. And the funny, the funny part about it, she spoke absolutely no English, her, <laughs> which her is gran- not unusual. Yeah. Her, her, grand, her grandson, who did the interview with us, said she she got on the plane, she got off the plane, she cooked the pasta, she got back on the plane and came home. Yeah. <laughs> she she was she was not interested in the Big Apple. Yeah, usually they're they're not usually this, uh, there's no like I, like their little their homes. I have, a, I have a sensible question for you, because some, something we observed more than once in our, the many times we've been in Italy, and that is that around about 6 p.m. every day, the, the, the young lady of the house would go to the pasta shop and buy pasta already cooked. E- Which seems somehow to be, seems like it's cheating, but everybody seems yeah, to I mean, think I it's Yeah, I think there's right. a lot of... There's a there's a lot of that in Italy. I mean, I think you know, like look, that's, that's what Giovanna Rana, Rana is one of the biggest uh, you know fresh pasta makers probably in the yeah. U.S. now. But origins in Italy, so they grew their business in in Italy. So yeah, I think it's pretty common that, uh, or more common than you think, or I guess maybe the other way is they do a lot just, of filled pasta, don't they, Rana? Yeah, they mostly, I think most of their core business is, is filled pasta. I think they do some yeah. pasta, you know, some fettuccine. It was good. I mean, for, you know, I had not much expectation of it, you know, but, I mean, I thought it was good. I mean, I thought it would be yeah, a, watered down commercially. You know. no, no, yeah, I mentioned it's a, it's what a good I did. product. I mentioned what I did, Steve, because I thought maybe, maybe there's a new market segment here that you could get after and you could make even more money. <laughs> On the fresh pasta side? 
On, on, on yeah, the, I don't know if the come and get come and get your come and get your pasta here. That why why cook it yourself when you can get it here for dinner in <laughs> yeah. five minutes. Uh, that's true. Yeah, it's just so, it's, right. It's it, we've thought of that. It is. It's just the whole new oh, line of just a bunch of new equipment. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, the do you know Massimo Bottura? Uh, not personally, but yes, I do. But know you know him. who he is. Correct. Yes. Okay, and um, and of course he's the classic uh, pasta of Modena is. Uh, tortellini. Yeah, tortellini. Tortellini, and or, um, he he, they have a couple kids. He and his wife, who's American, by the way, his wife. Um, and she's a, a descendant of the Kodak family, I think. Anyhow, uh, um, she had a lot of money, so. <laughs> but um, yeah, which uh, I think helped get that um, the restaurant launched. But anyhow, um, one of his children has special needs, and um, one of the things he's very keen on is not messing with tortellini because. People are so passionate about the, about their, their their shapes, their regional distinction. So, but he had this uh, son with special needs, and he set up. He figured it would be something he could do, and he set up a tortellini factory in Modena uh, that's, that's particularly for disadvantaged. I mean, physically disadvantaged kids, young kids. Uh, to to go in business and have have a a job and and have a, a mission, so that that's something I thought you might be interested in. Yeah, I think I've 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 seen that that uh yeah their their little shop that they've had. Yeah, but it's that's a factory. Good, a lot of people like tortellini. A lot of people like tortellini and brodo. I, I mean, me too. Yeah, you bet. So. Yeah, tortellini and brodo. In fact, you will have tortellini in your meal somewhere if you're in Bologna. And you, oh yeah, yeah. You also have you also have some mortadella too. Yep. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. It, it, not not as as much per meal as we're worried with the um, the um, escargot. Oh, that was that was in uh, that was in Piemonte. Piemonte. Yeah, yeah they had restaurants. That, Sold nothing but snails. <laughs> so you could have a multi-course meal with snails in every course. <laughs> um, so, okay. So now it's hard coming by things anymore. Are you having any? Um, since you produce it here, are you having any um, difficulty stocking and, and selling? Uh, we're. I mean, right now the current problems we're having now are just uh supply chain issues so you know packaging and well everything has then. gone up in price and then is now lead times have doubled or tripled uh we don't really import too much stuff but you know all but the price of flour in the u.s has has gone up uh or semolina has gone up significantly in the last six months uh like Regular, you know, we just just 
in our line, we call it conventional, so non-organic flour, which is what we use for some some things. Because uh, also we do a lot of co we do a lot of co-manufacturing for people as well. Oh, do so you? We make, okay. We make other people's pastas and put it in their boxes for them. Um, so some of that, uh, you know, so price of you know conventional semolina has gone up 50%. Price of organic flour has gone up about 30%. Um, have you looked at the yeah. fish, by the way? <laughs> you talk about the cost increases. Seafood is like out of sight. Yeah. But we're and talking then, over 100%, you know, stuff. Yeah, and then oh. just some of our raw materials have gone up. And, you know, recently, like, we did buy – so a lot of our equipment comes from Italy. There's no – we're not trying to uh, – so we have some new equipment that's been it's getting here that's been very delayed, that's been – just delayed for probably almost four months, and then uh, and then so shipping containers, the cost to like transport things has has gone up like a a full container that you might see like on a truck ha- used to be like three thousand dollars to ship is now twelve thousand dollars to ship. So <gasps> That's terrible. Gone up. When when are we going to get past this? Uh, I don't know, but there's there's been some I don't know there's been a lot of uh, stories about you know these so pretty much what the story we're hearing is that these containers that all these things ship in shipping containers there's a shortage of them and uh, I think uh, have the cycle that they used to come into the U.S. and travel has all gotten shortened. So it used to be that there was they used to come in from China and then they would go into the Midwest to pick up grains, pork, soy, and then make their way back out to the coast, the West Coast, and then go back to China full. But now there's such a short supply that they're not making that that journey in that they're just getting to the West Coast and then being shipped back sometimes empty. Yeah, and they're all backed up over there, yeah. Yeah, and um, they're all backed up on the West Coast. Well, you have your hands full, but I I think that we, we need to be able, before we close this interview, to tell people, since I've been raving about these, and you have a lot of other interesting uh, shapes and also grains in your arsenal, um, let's do your website, and then I want you to tell our listeners how they can find find Cascatelli. Apparently there are wait lists all over the place to get it. Yep. Uh, so www.sfolini.com is our website and uh, Cascatelli I don't think is on back order right now. Um, but we also it's also I think in over 300 grocery stores. There's also a store finder on our website oh, good. Uh, that, could, that could help people um so yeah that's uh and then you know we also besides cascatelli we have all of our traditional shapes in semolina and then we also have our whole grain pasta which i think is very uh flavorful and tasty yeah i mean uh, i i i have one of those i haven't cooked it yet but it looks good i mean it looks yeah that's uh i think that one's got a pretty good flavor and it's uh so it's a blend of whole grain flour so like a softer wheat flour uh that's whole grain and uh and that's 
we combine that with some semolina flour, so it kind of helps give it some some texture and helps give it some of that traditional bite. But also, yeah. I think the flavor on it's amazing, uh, and that's well. I mean, that, I I think your product is amazing, and um, I'm I'm so glad that we finally were able to catch you <laughs> and talk to you. Thank you very much. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, well, I appreciate talking to you. It's certainly been fun for us. Um, okay. And, and I'm going to be cooking more uh, cascatelli soon. I, I, I paused because I can't stop eating it when I cook it. <laughs> it is good. I mean, it I really think is that was addictive. kind of the, we were all, you know, when Dan came to us, we thought, oh, this might be a little gimmicky. And when we f- did the first, test batch i was sending it out to a lot of old colleagues in the restaurant business and they said hey what do you think what do you think and i said (laughs) tell me what you think and they said at first we thought it was gimmicky but we really think this is really good product that holds up well and is a i I make a really mean pesto every year from my garden and and it was wonderful with pesto so Okay, Steve, glad we finally got to talk and uh, continued success with all of your your products. Thanks, Anne. I appreciate that. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Next up, we have Mark Andrus of Mark's Mindful Munchies, and uh, what a brilliant idea for a company, and he was such a delight to talk to. Yes, I, I said to Mark Andrus before we started recording this interview um, that the most amazing thing about Mark's Mindful Munchies is that the product tastes good. In fact, that might actually be a negative mark because we can't stop eating it. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it's but, good that it's better for you at least. Well, yeah, it is, it's good that it's better. Most of this better for you stuff tastes like cardboard, I have to tell you, <laughs> which is a downer. You're not good. But um, it, let's start with I mean, how old is this company and how long have you been doing this and what did you do before? Sure, that's, um, and I'm going to make that as brief as possible, but I'll, uh, I will start with what I was doing before um, was Stacy's Pita Chip Company. So I, I, I founded... Oh, I like those too. Yeah, yeah so I, I founded Stacy's Pita Chip Company with my girlfriend at the time, Stacy, um, back in 1997. And uh, the reason I had done... That was, I had uh, always wanted to become a chef when I was a uh, a child and uh, wanted to go to chef school right after high school, but I came from a family of doctors, so while they thought that was a cute idea, uh, they wanted me to go on and get higher education, so I got my <laughs> doctorate in psychology, five more years okay. in graduate school, and uh, and then started my own making, uh, food started company. Started making potato chips? <laughs> Yes, I make a pizza chips, and then, uh, and this is my second company. 
Well, you know, the, the Stacy's makes really good pizza chips. I, I was eating those. I was on a binge with those for a long time. Yep, those are those are great, and I was really proud of that product. And it was baked, so it was healthier. But for yeah. for, for this product, I was really focusing on on addressing more health, nutrition, diet needs. Um, I had been out of the business for about eight years and was just doing uh, consulting for free to sort of give back to the community to start up food companies because it's so challenging. And and it also kept my finger on the pulse of things because that was interesting to me. And, um, and And I realized that there was still a lot of space available um, to develop good tasting, like you were addressing, uh, yes. <laughs> healthier products. Because there, there is, uh, I love to snack. I lead a very healthy lifestyle, but I love to snack. Uh, yeah, my girlfriend, too. who is a nutrition consultant and fitness trainer, loves to snack, but she can't eat corn, and she watches what she eats, so that cuts a lot out. And then I started looking <laughs> at my, my whole family. My, uh, I have a niece who's vegan, I have another niece who's got celiac disease. Okay. I've got another niece who can't eat nuts because of allergies. My sister is type 2 diabetes. My oh, brother wow. is a cardiologist. So everyone's <laughs> got these different nutritional, you know, needs or, you know, programs that they're on. And I really wanted to be able to address all of those but still have a great tasting product. And I started looking at the benefits of uh, ancient grains, um, and sweet potatoes more recently, but um, and whole grain brown rice, and uh, and started you know talking to farmers and seed breeders and uh, aren't they an interesting really lot? lot. Huh? Yeah, yeah they're interesting people, aren't they? That's, yeah, yeah, they're very what, interesting and very helpful. Um, so I really I really learned a lot, and then and then started product development, and uh, it took a while, but. Uh, I think we finally nailed it and came up with some really nice, uh, some nice products that are great to eat on your own, on their own, but they're also great for dipping. Yeah. Right. Mark, talk, talk to our listeners a little bit about this term ancient grains and what, what, what they really are and if you like, what, what you think in particular makes them special. Yeah, there. Uh, so it's it's sorghum is the the main player here, and that's the, sort of the base uh, ingredient for the product. And we have chia and quinoa. Um, so the, the sorghum, a couple great things about it. One is that it's very eco friendly. It's drought resistant, so it doesn't take uh, many resources for it to grow. Um, it's very healthy for the soil. Most of the farmers practice regenerative farming, so and it's all grown in the United States. Uh, and then besides that, it's also compared to your typical um, snacks that are made with wheat and, and other uh, grains that are, people often have sensitivities to, uh, they're also often not whole grains, and these are all whole grains. So... Oh, ancient right. grains are, are always whole say, grains. When you say whole grain, explain whole grain. Explain so you've whole, got whole. the 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 outer shell okay, of the it. of the grain. You've got the actual the whole grain. They haven't for white flour, let's say, they take off all the 
the good stuff, all the vitamins and minerals and fiber, and you get white bread. That's why it's not. But yeah, it's, the whole they wheat call it is what you get. Don't they? They polish right. them. <laughs> they polish it down to nothing. Yeah, it looks pretty maybe, but uh, it, it it doesn't really have a lot of uh, vitamins, and it doesn't really have that nice uh, earthy flavor. So the, the ancient grains taste great. They're uh, they've been around for forever. They're naturally non-GMO. Um, they're higher in fiber. They retained all of their, um, you know, the vitamins that are intact throughout their whole lineage. there's a reason. I mean, you probably follow Dan Barber. I mean, there's a reason why people have gotten away from growing that, and he's trying to bring back some um, ancient varieties of, of, um, of, say, wheat and so forth. Yeah. But, so, yeah. I mean, if it's taste... It's healthier, it tastes better, and so forth. How did we get to where nobody was using the whole grains anymore, and they're doing right, monoculture? Because it, it uh, it's more you know it's more expensive and more time consuming, and uh, uh, yeah, it's not it's it's not as easy to create as uh, maybe it doesn't yield as much. And uh, mm-hmm. but I think we are coming full circle and, and starting to come back and realizing the the benefits of of all these. And that, you know, we're eating a lot of food that's been stripped of all of its health nutrients. Yeah. Am I I right in saying there's a connection between miso and sorghum? Between, between, milo, I think, or millet, millet is what it is. Millet, you're thinking of, not miso, but that's the fermentation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But there is, there, there is, and I'm not exactly, um, Sure, on the the connection there, but you're right. Well, now you said that you saw that there was a space um, for the kind of thing you were aiming to do, and you sort of hit it right on the nose. You're in that space. Um, Tell us how many years it took you to get something that has all the health benefits that you wanted that also tasted good, because it seems like everybody gives up on the taste factor. (laughs) Right. Did you, did you, were you asking how long it took to get the product right or how long yes. to, to, sort of de- to develop it? Yeah, to develop it, I guess is what I mean. Yeah, I would say it took, it took about, um, I would t- say it took about eight months. Uh-huh. That's not too bad, actually. I mean, before I we, had it, yeah, from start to, to, to start to finish. Yeah, we we interviewed them, some apple breeders, for example, and they spend like twenty years getting it straight. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I could imagine. Oh yeah, that's funny. They're inter- <laughs> interesting loss lot, but I mean, imagine you just have to keep. Um, you have to keep uh, what do you call it? Would you splice the? Yeah, cuttings on it. you have to have a lot of patience. And, and yeah, and you do that, and then you have to um, get people who you trust to, to continue the line, and you have to taste these apples many times every single day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very so. And considering you did a marvelous job in, in a much shorter period of time. So, yeah, that um, was the that was the the, the fastest part. I I love to cook and I love to create things, so. Um, that was actually the most, the most fun. And then, um, unfortunately we, 
we launched right around the time the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you never have a crystal ball and you never know what's going So it's certainly been much more challenging um, on a number of fronts than it was when I started Stacy's Pita Chip Company. You know, now yeah. we have the, the pandemic, so things are closed down and buyers aren't in their offices. And it's, uh, right. it's, it's a challenge. Yeah, except people are home snacking more. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. But that was in the beginning of the pandemic. People were... Um, were comfort snacking. So they weren't really looking at health benefits. They were scared. They didn't know what was happening, what the future was going to bring. Um, and they were and they gained they weight like crazy. Comfort. What's that? Yeah, they gained weight like crazy, apparently. I right, don't know how many right. people told us that right. they gained all this weight. <laughs> right. You know, but I think working. people are, you know, things are starting to slowly normalize. So people are coming back, started thinking of their New Year's resolutions and getting back into into a healthier mode. So we'll see that that come back. Well, now, uh, let's get really specific about the the um, healthful aspects of your products. Mm-hmm. Tell us. So um, they're, they're gluten-free. So they're, they're tested and they're, they're certified gluten-free. Um, they're non-GMO project verified, which is another biggie. They're 100% whole grain. Uh, they're, they're kosher, but that's not really a health benefit. Um, but, and then, and then, then beyond that, you have, uh, again, the, you know, the minerals and, and vitamins that are, that are contained within a little bit higher than, and fiber than your typical yeah. potato chip. So besides fewer being, calories, fewer yep. calories, yeah, which means you calories. can eat more and just they taste good. You do, <laughs> yeah, and they're and they're air popped and expanded. So oh, that was the also, one that was you know, not yeah. fried. Now, where where do they grow? Where where is the raw material grown? Most of it is grown in the United States. The the the, the sorghum is grown all on the Midwest and. Um, and then corn, the corn belt product. Yeah, basically, basically, any actually they do, do it all the way from from California to to Kansas, pretty much that whole belt. Sure. Um, well, you you had um, this is an experience in in developing a company and rolling out the products. That's for sure. Uh, which probably is why it didn't take quite as long as, as it might otherwise have taken. Um, yes. I mean, wh- where did you end up in, like, the number of products? Uh, currently, so so we started out with with four flavors of the ancient grain chips, and then more recently I developed the sweet potato chips which are which are popped sweet potato and brown rice and those are two different flavors yeah well they the sweet potatoes i think are are becoming enthroned in the in the um, yep. specialty food market yeah and i mean they're so incredibly healthier than than the white Ab- potatoes absolutely and again are they're they, they're are, uh, they, are they the one, are they the ones that go with maple yeah that's yeah 
I, I tried. You no, know, that was one of the sales. I wasn't anticipating the sweet note, and I was um, consuming them with lamb stew. That didn't work very well. Oh no! But I do it like lamb stew. It sits on the label, sweetheart. You should, you should have read. I didn't read the, read the label. <laughs> it does go with football games. They do go with football games. Right. I can cert- lamb I can stew. That, that makes me think of uh, of Iceland. Uh-huh. They make very good lamb stew in Iceland. Um, <laughs> but that's do, great. Guess, right? They make very good lamb in Pennsylvania, even. Right. Is that where you're calling from? Yes, yeah, we're in we're in oh, nice. we're in Pittsburgh. We're in the in the Pittsburgh who just with great relief made it into the playoffs one more time. And now the sad thing unfortunately is now we get to play Kansas City. Uh. <laughs> well, we also who, lived in Kansas who, who, City. Who, who whooped us by 30 points just 2 weeks ago. Oh boy. Yeah. Now, total number of flavors is how many? So actually, there's three. So there's four ancient grain and three of the sweet potatoes. So there's seven total. Okay, and then you have different flavorings in within that uh, grouping. Well, those are so those are there's there's I'm gonna try to there's two there's two product lines. There's the the ancient grain chips, which are which are one group of products, and then the sweet potato chips, which are another group of products, and for the ancient grain chips, there's there's four flavors of those. There's the, oh, that's what you've been four and three, yeah. Yeah. So there's the, okay. the pink Himalayan salt, the hickory barbecue, the vegan sour cream and onion, and the maple and sea salt of those. And then now, the sweet potato Are you going to chips. direct your development to expanding your market or to expand with new flavors? I mean, you're an old hand at this, so what comes next? Well, really, it's battling um, – it's an uphill battle to fight uh, COVID and expand, getting expansion into stores. So really, we're trying to build a brand right now. That's, that's okay. uh, any more – we have plenty of products right now, and I, w- I don't want to – dilute things and i don't you right. know i think they're very strong products um, yeah they are agreed so i you know my, my focus right now is to get distribution and we we're starting to get some good momentum in the supermarkets we just need to to keep going on that front but we're in we're definitely starting to get some good supermarket placements have you interacted at all with a guy called anson who's in the south mm-hmm. And what's the Mills what, you're talking about? And Mills, yeah. And they, Hanson. they, they, they're, they're reviving Carolina, Carolina Gold Rice and a number of other things. Huh? No, I haven't. Anson Mills is the name of the company. Anson Mills. Anson Mills. It's, it's I mean, it might, be, might be worth, might be worth, might be worth getting in, trying to get in touch and saying. Southeast U.S. You're on, you're on, you're on the same wavelength in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Except he's he's growing it and then he stops at that point. Right. Do you you, um, have online ordering for retail or is it only wholesale? Yes, yep. We're we're both on Amazon and uh, we have a website. Right. Which is? Give us your website. Yep, it's it's pop 
Poppities.com, www.poppities.com. Let me write that down so I know. I knew there was some kind of funny thing about that pop <laughs> city. Right. Dot com. Yep. That's, yeah, see, that, uh, that had me confused. I didn't know about that. Okay. Um, and um, do people order right off the website? Yep, they can order off the website or um, not my first choice, but they can order off of Amazon. Yeah, well, watch out for that because, I mean, you know what, <laughs> what happens yeah. there. If it sells a lot, it's going to be cloned, <laughs> except you'll be cut out. I know. Do you, do you have a store locator also? Yes, we do, yep. Yeah, it's it's a shame. I mean, it really is a shame with the, the the stuff that goes on with the counterfeiting and stuff like that, and then the, the rip off of the products themselves. Which I don't know. Yeah, it's a hard decision to make because they're so everywhere. <laughs> yep, yep, I know. It is. It's tricky. It's too bad. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've noticed in specialty food of late is collaborations. Everybody's collaborating with other companies. I mean, I see it with, I and mean, we love them, Burlap and Barrel, the spice company. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're collaborating with all kinds of other, um, they did a collaboration with, um, uh, what's, what's her name, um, uh, for the uh, the curry, the, the uh, Indian spicing. Hmm. Um, yeah, and, and and, the, and there are a number of other companies that they've collaborated with on. When you say the they're product. doing, when you say a collaboration, what are you, what are you talking about? They develop um, um, their specialties together. I mean, they're, each one has a special niche and a special product and a special yep. focus, and they work together to come up with something new that kind of melds both of this. Uh-huh. The, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I haven't done anything. It back in the the Stacy's days, we we looked at doing so. We may have even done some. It was sort of the hummus company, and you know, chips and dips, right. package it, pack it together. Yeah, that's the kind of thing, um, yeah. yeah, but no, not at this point. I think we're uh, we're trying to stay focused, and there's so many different directions you can go in uh, that it's easy to get derailed. So I think. Um, we're just trying to stay the course while the the, the pandemic continues, and um, you know, so many small companies, especially, have have dropped out because it's it's so di- you know so difficult. Prices and prices yeah. are going up, and freight has gone up, and so the the landscape is ever changing and, and extremely challenging. And this the is coming from someone that started the second company. The, the hospitality industry is just decimated as really awful yeah yeah so i mean we know so many um chefs and restaurateurs and you know here and, and around the globe actually and they open and the next thing you know they're closed down again you know yeah no it's so, it's, uh, it's and, terrible. you know the whole walk-in filled with product that has to stay fresh it's really we yeah. have a produce company in in pittsburgh that is very large it has a, a huge customer base and um Anyhow, um, they they had to just a year ago they had to just close down their um, warehouse, 
And what they did was they, they gave away the product they had to whoever came mm. showed up with a container. It was amazing. Wow. They were just inundated with people. Mm. So, That's great. Well, so what are you looking forward to next? I mean, the, the most, just expanding, riding out this um, pandemic and, and expanding market, I guess. So. Yeah, yep. We have a big food show um, the fancy food show. It's coming oh, up. Oh, you? In, yeah, uh, that's right. You're there. That's how I found you. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah and they're doing that in uh, in Las Vegas, uh, which is which is unusual for the fancy food show. But uh, and so I'm looking forward to that because I haven't done a food show, the fancy food show, since back in the Stacy's days. So oh, yeah. it's been many that's years. Fun. Yeah, yeah, but yeah it is. we always it's cover fun the hearing thing. everyone's story and oh yeah. So um, we have funny stories about the fancy food show, though, and the um, summer fancy food show, because it was always uh, arriving at the same time that the World Cup was arriving. Uh, (laughs) And you'd go, and and of course, there was this one year was France versus Italy, and everybody put down their cell phones and left the booths. And yep. Italy won, and then the next day, Ariane of uh, 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 D'Artagnan uh, could barely open her eyes. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, that seems to be getting close to telling stories out of school, so I'm going to stop that, Mark. <laughs> Listeners, again, you really need to check out this. I mean, people can tell you better for you is better, uh, even in snacking, but to find something that actually tastes it's good that you want to keep eating it. Check out um, Mark's Mindful Munchies and Alliterations of the Extreme, Mark Andrus. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much, and Happy New Year. And you too. Bye-bye. Okay, so we're going for another day. Um, good eating, all of you listeners out there. And be sure to join us again next week. Same time, same place. Bye-bye.